So we are taking a break from our series in 1 Corinthians this morning. Um, Pastor Mike will be back next week with a message on 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But uh, today, in honor of Mother's Day, we will be looking at a portion of the Bible that talks about parenting and especially about the spiritual uh, training of the next generation. And then after we've looked at a few things from the Bible for a few minutes, uh, we're going to be hearing some real-life wisdom from some real-life godly moms from our church. So we're going to have some moms up here in a little bit, and they'll be uh, sharing with us. Now today, our biblical passage uh, from the book of Deuteronomy is from chapter 6. And the historical setting of this part of the Bible is that Moses... um, is, uh, is giving his final words to the nation of Israel uh, after he has led them for 40 years. Now, you remember the story of Moses, how God chose him to lead the people uh, of Israel from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. Uh, that story includes the whole thing with the ten plagues, parting the Red Sea, and then they go to Mount Sinai, And there at Mount Sinai, God meets with them in a very dramatic appearance on the top of the mountain with smoke and fire and thunder and earthquakes. And and Moses goes up on the mountain and he received the law of God, including the Ten Commandments. And God carved that on stone tablets with his own hand for Moses to bring back to the people. And then after that, Moses led the nation for 40 years as they lived as nomadic herders traveling around in the desert of Sinai. And at the end of that time, just as the people are poised to enter the promised land, God tells Moses, it's time for you to die, and you are not going to lead the people into the land. You need to hand over uh, leadership of the people to uh, your assistant, Joshua. And, uh, but before he died... Before he handed over leadership, Moses uh, gave the people the book of Deuteronomy as his final words and his final message to the people. And he is reminding them in this book of the most important things that he has taught them over the last 40 years. And we're going to pick up in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and we're going to read a a pretty good section here and then, then talk about it quite a bit. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Um, I want to talk about this, uh, that last section that's on the slide there for, uh, for our focus this morning. Moses says, these commandments are to be on your hearts. Now, to be on your hearts, that's uh, following the way of life described in the, bottle, in the Bible. It's not just a question of outwardly obeying the rules, right? The teaching of the Bible is to be on our hearts. It's to be in the very core of our being, the core of what makes us who we are. See, the difference is, is the difference between grudgingly obeying a set of restrictions and commands that we don't really agree with, but we feel like we have to, compared to when we have these commandments on our hearts, we find joy in the obedience to God, and we trust God, and we know that following His way is the best thing for us, not just what we must do. And then Moses makes the point that I want to focus on this morning, the necessity of passing on that heart obedience to the Bible to the next generation. The Bible knows that faith is not inherited. It is not genetic. There's no uh, Christian gene that gets passed on from parent to child. The Bible knows that faith must be uh, passed on intentionally. If the next generation is going to follow God, it will require a deliberate effort from the older generation. Impress them on your children. Now that, that phrase is, it's, it's more than just to inform your children about the faith. Right? It's more than just to tell them uh, the, the information. We are called to teach them in a way uh, that influences them toward true faith of their own. To impress them on your children is not simply to inform them, it is not to force them on your children. To impress them on your children is to communicate biblical truth to them persuasively. Now before we move on into what this section says about how we do this, there's a couple of clarifications that I want to make here. The first one is that the instructions here are not only for parents with young children, right? Of course, parents do have a special responsibility to teach their own children and a great opportunity to be a great influence on the lives of their kids. Um, but here in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving these instructions to the entire community. And he's telling the entire community to teach these things to the children of the nation, so while parents have the greatest responsibility for training up their children in the ways of God, it is also a responsibility of the whole community. Now in our setting today, it is the whole church that has the responsibility to help impress the kids of the church with the ways of God. But of course the balancing truth is that parents cannot simply think, okay, getting my kids to Sunday school, that's my responsibility and that's all I have to do. If I just get them here on Sunday morning, send them off to the teacher and the teacher does the job. No, uh, sending your kids to youth group, not enough. It's, it's a great thing that we have a Sunday school 
and a youth group where, uh, where people can, can impact our kids and, and teach them spiritual things. But at the same time, um, it is the responsibility primarily of the parents to, to educate their children. And as a church, we have the privilege and responsibility to provide quality programs for our kids. But there's more than just the programs, too, and we're going to see that as we continue on in the text. But before we continue on in the text, there's one other uh, thing that I want to point out about a parent's responsibility to impress God's ways onto their kids. And that is that ultimately, it is each person's own decision whether to follow Jesus or not. Parents have influence on their children, but they don't control them. Being a good parent who fulfills their responsibility to teach their children about God does not guarantee that the children will choose to live according to God's ways. Nor do the failures of parents doom their own kids to a bad spiritual life. And that's obvious, especially when we look at siblings who have chosen different spiritual paths, raised in the same family, same parents, go to the same church, but with opposite outcomes. And we also see this uh, played out clearly in the biblical books of First and Second Kings. In these books, we have an interesting thing. There's a record in First and Second Kings of all the kings of Israel and Judah, and uh, every, uh, uh, for many generations there, and every king is given a divine spiritual verdict. Each one is declared either he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so here we have a record of generations of people and whether they followed God or not. Now, the line of kings in, in the northern kingdom of Israel is kind of messed up, and, and we can talk about that later if you want to, but the line of kings in Judah... Is, is, a, is a pure, uh, unbroken line of fathers and sons for quite a few generations with, uh, with a spiritual report on each one. And here's the pattern. Don't worry about all these names, but, uh, but just try to follow the, the pattern here. Abijah, bad. Asa, good. Jehoshaphat, good. Jehoram, bad. Azariah, bad. Joash, good. Amaziah, good. Azariah, good. Jotham, good. Ahaz, bad. Hezekiah, good. Manasseh, bad. Ammon, bad. Josiah, good. Jehoahaz, bad. Jehoiakim, bad. All the rest are bad. Two more. (laughs) Uh, So what's the point of that pattern is that there's no guarantees that a godly king who is declared by God to have done right and walked according to uh, the godly pattern, is he going to have a godly son to follow him on the throne? It's up to that son whether he's going to be godly or not. And if he have an ungodly king, what's going to happen to his child? Again, there's... There's a, a strong possibility that a son of a godly ki- or an ungodly king will turn out to be godly. Godly parents don't necessarily have godly children, and ungodly parents just might have godly offspring. So, 
while parents have a great responsibility and a great privilege to impress God's commands on their children, their children will ultimately make their own decisions. So, as parents and as a church, we do what we can. We seek to follow God's commands. We try to teach the next generation to follow the faith, but at the same time we recognize that it's really going to be up to them. Now let's explore the rest of these verses in this section from Deuteronomy where it tells us a little bit more about how we are to go about impressing the next generation with the things of God. It says, We are to talk about the Bible when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's, what was that, four times, right? Then you need to talk about the ways of God, sitting at home, walking on the road, or in today's world, I suppose that would be driving in the car. Um, and then at bedtime and the first thing when you get up in the morning. Now, is that a checklist of the four times that we need to talk about God with our kids? No, of course not. It, the, the whole idea here is that uh, throughout your day, as you go about all of your activities and different things that you're doing, you are to be uh, including talk about God in your interactions with the next generation. Now, asking what they learned in Sunday school on the drive home, that's a really good step, yes. But this sounds like a whole lot more than that, doesn't it? Of course, uh, in order to do this, you're going to need to have something to talk about, right? Uh, so that means that we need to be spending time reading our Bibles, praying, listen to some good podcasts, read Christian books, and think about God throughout your day so that... When you interact with your kids, you have something to say, something to teach. Also, it's pretty obvious that these uh, various times to be impressing God's truth on our children are not all formal teaching times, right? This is not, let's stop and have family devotions six times a day. Um, these are not prepared lessons that we read from a curriculum. Uh, those kinds of things can be great sometimes, too. Uh, but what the Bible is talking about here is a much more personal, real-life teaching. Uh, these times sound like they're the kinds of times and places where the saying is true that more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. That is, by our actions, kids really learn about what a real life of following God looks like. And only occasionally talking about those actions with the kids. It is when we show love to people, when we resist temptations, when we forgive other people, when we admit our mistakes and we ask for forgiveness, when we stop and pray to God for help, those are the times that we really impress the next generation with the ways of God. The last part of this section here. It says that we should tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, some people have taken this very, quite literally. Write down a portion of the scripture, put it in a little box, tie it to their head. Or tie it onto their, their hand, or they put signs on their doors and things. And that's, I think that's kind of a cool idea, actually. Um, but... The funny thing is that by literally doing what the Bible is instructing them to do here, they're actually doing symbolically what the Bible is really telling them to do. 
Do you follow that? I don't know. So there, what, what the Bible is really saying for them to do is to have the Scripture in your mind. The Scripture should be in your head, not just tied to your head. Tying it to your head is just a symbol. So they are trying to be literal, but actually ending up being symbolic. But, uh, but the point is that uh, to have a sign on your door with a verse on it, that's not the main idea. The idea is that your home be a place where the Bible is honored. The whole point of this section is that the Bible should permeate our lives. When we get up, when we walk along the road, in our minds, in the work of our hands, in our home life, the teaching of the Bible needs to be in all these places, and we need to live according to God's commands. And that is the main reason, way that we will be passing on our faith to the next generation. Now, lastly, I want to look at another small section from later in the same chapter in Deuteronomy that adds another element to how we are to teach uh, our children. It's uh, starting with verse 20 in the same chapter. It says, In the future... When your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws of the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Now there's a number of lessons here. One is that our kids should be asking us about the meaning of the Bible, now, kids ask a lot of questions about all kinds of things, especially when they're about three or four years old. They ask questions constantly. But they are not going to ask you about the Bible and the meaning of the Bible unless they're being exposed to the Bible. So we need to make sure that our kids are being exposed to these things. It's when we are living with the Bible all through our lives, like we just talked about, that our kids are going to be asking us, why are we doing this? What is the meaning of this? And the answer that Moses tells the people to give when their children ask questions about God's commands is to explain to them the story of the Exodus. Now, the story of the Exodus from Egypt is not the answer to every question that your kids might ask about the Bible. Uh, but telling stories about things that God has done is a great way to teach them about God. And especially two kinds of stories. Stories about God's miraculous, amazing deeds from the Bible. So maybe you should tell them the exact thing that Moses is saying, or tell them the story of the Exodus, that the people were slaves in Egypt and God led them out. We need to teach these stories to our kids and how these stories relate to our kids' lives and God's instructions about how they should live. But remember who Moses was talking to here in Deuteronomy. For these people, the story of the Exodus was not an ancient story from the Bible. This was their own personal experience with God that they were talking about. And that is another thing that we need to be sharing with the next generation. That's another kind of story that we need to be passing on. How God saved us. Not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin. We can't let them think that God worked back in Bible times, but he's mostly silent now. The next generation needs to hear how God has worked and is working in our lives. Now, for the rest of our time this morning, 
we're going to get some real-world advice on how we can pass on our faith to the next generation. And for that, I'm calling on my panel of moms who I have invited to come forward now who are going to share with us some of their experiences in this area. So, find some microphones here. And we're just going to have to stand in a row here. Here we are. Come on over to the side. And one more microphone. Okay. First, I just want you, each of you, to uh, take turns. Just introduce yourself to us. Just give your name and then how many children you have. And if you have any grandchildren, how many grandchildren you have. I'm Sandy Bentz, and I have two sons, and I have three grandchildren. I'm Narda Butler. I have five children and four grandchildren. I'm Sandy Vasquez. I have um, two sons, one daughter. I want to be a grandma. I'm not because my kids aren't cooperating. <laughs> Dayon, where are you out there? Okay. And I am Donna Embry, and James is my son. And so it's a privilege to be here today and uh, to share this service with all of you. Um, how many other children do you have? How many other children do you have? <laughs> We have two other children who are older than James. One lives in Portland, Oregon, and our daughter, uh, that's a son. And our daughter lives in uh, Georgia with her husband and twin granddaughters that I have, we have, who are juniors in college at this point. And so James has the three kids, so five grandchildren. Great. So I have... Uh... I have some questions for each of you to answer, and, uh, and I'll just, we can just go down the row here, or if you really want to go out of order, you can, but it'll be easiest if we just go down the row. So um, first question is, what is one practice that you did with your kids in order to teach them about God? So something that was a, a thing that you did with your kids to teach them something about God. Well, when... Um Jeff and I, we didn't grow up in Christian homes. Uh, we actually accepted Christ about the same time we started going to church with our two-year-old and four-year-old. So we all were sort of learning at the same time. And uh, so um, what we did, or what I did as a mom, is uh, a lot of what Deuteronomy said is, is to talk with them when they get up, talk with them when they go to bed, talk with them during the day. And I love music, so I played music uh, children's um, Bible songs, and when I was in the car, I had CDs. We listened to it all the time, and at night, we read Bible stories, which some of them were new to me, and uh, so, like I said, we were learning a lot of that time. We would pray with the boys when they would go to bed at night, and also, um, uh, we would um, tell them when we would see God working in our lives or if we saw prayer being answered, big or small, we would reference God in that way. So we did do an awful lot of talking during those years just about what Jesus means to us and how God was taking care of us as a family. Thank you. It's a good segue to us because we don't do a whole lot of talking in our household about, I mean, we, um, we do a lot of talking, but maybe not a lot of deep, 
how are you feeling about things kind of talking. Allie stopped laughing. Four of my children are here. One of my adopted children here, nieces here. One thing we did do, though, is we really believe in modeling a life in Christ. And so as my children, all of them eventually came home from school and were homeschooled, we spent about 10 years of going to the downtown soup kitchen every Friday as a family ministry. And that opened a lot of doors for conversations about what you see, and Andrea, I see you shaking your head. You were there during those years when Becky was so little, she had to stand on a milk crate to serve people out the window. Um, and they learned from that experience that loving people is messy sometimes. It's hard. It's, um, and, and sometimes you wonder, I had kids ask me, why do we do this? Because the same people are here five years later. Um, so it gave us lots of opportunities to talk about airing on the side of grace and, and just opened a lot of doors. That was one thing that we did. Um, we talked a lot, uh, <laughs> and I think God knew I needed a lot of help. Um, so our kids loved talking in the house. Um, they didn't talk a lot outside, but they talked a lot inside. And um, just kind of made it easier for us, um, because when Dayhan was three, he would ask me, why did God make oxygen? Because um, he could have <laughs> made us live without oxygen. Um, and when Leah was two, she was trying to proselytize me or witness to me when I take a glass of water to tell me about living water of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so it made it easy for us. But as they got older, though, then it goes into more modeling because when they become teenagers, they suddenly live with one word, go through life with one word, good. How was school? Good. So then you have to do more modeling. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what we did. We went to church, obviously, and we would continue the discussions from um, the sermon, um, go to BSF, do BSF lessons with them. And our, the BSF lesson is supposed to take 10 minutes, but it would take us an hour because we would talk about uh, what God has done in our, in our life. Okay, I think... <clears throat> Probably the most important things um, have been covered as far as modeling uh, what Christ means to you personally and how you react to different situations in your life um, throughout. As the kids watch you, they want to see that what you have is real as far as your relationship with the Lord. And then I think uh, just to keep the Word of God uppermost in your daily lives. We used to read the Bible together every single day. And my advice uh, to younger parents uh, who have younger children today is um, just give them little, little bits. Don't try to cram whole chapters at a time <laughs> or something. But <clears throat> um, some of us have used a little thing called uh, the daily bread and it's just a, like a little loaf of bread with scripture verses in it. Some of you have probably seen those. And even if you just take one verse a day and just read that, maybe even one same verse every week, like you're learning the memory verse up here, I understand, every week. <clears throat> if, if the kids can absorb that and live it out and remember that just because it's been repeated uh, often at home, that's going to make an impact. And the other uh, big thing is just to pray, to pray with your kids every day and to pray for them every single day. Okay. Uh, next question is to tell a story about 
one time when you taught one or more of your children or your grandchildren something about God. So just a, a little story about an event from their lives or from your life. Well, I'll try to make a big story little. Um, first of all, I just have to recite the verse in Psalms where it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Many years ago when our uh, boys were probably elementary age, uh, there was a program that came to our church, uh, which was a prelude to the Dave Ramsey. And it was called Christian Financial Concepts with Larry Burkett. And in mine and Jeff's marriage, the last thing that we had given to God was the way that we spent money. I'm sure nobody else has ever had that problem. But for us, it was a big deal because we both came at money differently. And so we took that course, and then we, we made a vow with each other and before God that we would spend our money God's way, which meant a lot of changes for both of us. And so sometimes it did mean for our children when they asked for this or that, I had to say no because we just were trying to spend it God's way. And that didn't make them very happy. But the bigger story to this is uh, we, Jeff and I were both leading uh, Weeblos uh, Boy Scout group. We had a big group, so when we went to do any kind of um, uh, field trips, we had to take two cars, and we really wished that we could have something larger like a uh, Suburban, but we knew we couldn't afford it. So uh, in spending our money the way God wanted to, so many blessings came to us, big and small. But the biggest one that we were able to show to our kids because we were trying to do it God's way, we really felt that he had given to us my husband was a purchasing manager at, a, at his company. It was time for the, the executives to get their new cars. They all had company cars. He went in to take all the stats of what they wanted for a car. And when he was all done with that, his boss looked at him and said, well, what do you want? And Jeff kind of looked at him and he goes, well, I'd like a Suburban. And the boss says, don't let it cost any more than mine. And so you could call that whatever you want to call it, but we felt because of us being obedient to God in the way we spent money, he gave us the desire of our heart to be able to bless our little Boy Scout group. And the first thing we did was we took the kids on a ride on that, and I was reciting the psalm verse and telling them that, no, God's not always going to give you a suburban, but he will bless you when you do things his way. That was a huge lesson for our boys. Okay, James said one. I asked my kids um, at dinner last night what they remembered, so I have three real quick stories. One, oh. um, <laughs> Allie said that what really spoke to her was the fact that we had quiet time. This is an early 80s, late 70s term, um, university term, but we had personal devotions every morning, and she remembers that, and she remembered thinking growing up that every Christian adult does that, and so that was one thing that really spoke to her. Jessica remembered... Um, that I would say often, God is big enough to handle your doubts, your fears, your questions, that he's big enough. And so what you, I, I didn't have to raise um, or teach my children critical thinking. They got that all on their own. And so there were a lot of questions, but God was big enough to handle that. And then Vanya suggested that I talk about the time we spent reading, and we read a lot. We read the Chronicles of Narnia through many times. And when we did that, we talked about it. And we talked about the allegory. And we talked about what C.S. Lewis meant and who Aslan was. And we read lots of books. And so I think that was um, a way that we 
continually talked about God working in the lives of us and in others through their imaginations to write such wonderful books. Great. So um, James did say one, so I, it's, I mean, you know, it's so, <laughs> I don't call it. <laughs> um, it was hard, though, to try to come up with one because you know your other kids are going to be jealous. Um, <laughs> so, um, um, so there was one. Um, when Dehan was about uh, five or six, we took him to an eye doctor specialist at UC Berkeley, and we were told that he had um, color uh, defect. And um, so I hope he's, he won't get mad at me for sharing this because he's a little salty. He gets a little salty about his color blindness. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so there was this doctor telling us that he has red and green um, defect, uh, defi deficiency, and went through the list of um, um, occupations he couldn't do. He, you can't be a doctor, you can't, um, you know, you can't be an engineer, and went on and on and on. And I was so angry at this doctor. But I think it takes greater strength to not come to their aid and trusting them to God. And so when we came home, you know, he was quiet the whole time. And so when we came home, going through the crayon box, trying to decide what colors he could see, he could not see. Um, he said, why did God make me defective? You know, because the doctor has said you were colored defect. So he said, why did God make me defective? And so that was an opportunity to share with him that God had made you fearfully and wonderfully, and that he has plans and purpose in that. And so dad was able to share with him. And I think this is where it's really important that both mom and dad have to, to you know, participate in, in raising them and teaching them in the way of the Lord. But dad was able to share with him that during war, uh, U.S. military were able to use the colorblind soldiers to identify the um, snipers uh, hidden in the tree and so they were able to save a lot of lives. And so I don't know if he really bought the whole thing about how God had made me great. <laughs> but but um, so, you know, um, that was one thing that I could share, mm -hmm. that we were able to praise God and trust in God. Um, really, half a second. Because, um, you know, James stressed me about talking just for one minute. Um, I, so <laughs> I practiced. Um, no, I didn't practice. Um, but anyways, in the movie Ray Charles, right, there's a point, um, the blind um, musician, um, when he was a little boy, he couldn't see, so he fell. And his mom fought the urge of coming to his aid. She fought the urge because she wanted him to get up and... She said, I'm not always going to be there for you. And I think that's, that really touched me because it is easier for us to protect them and guard them and shield them. Um, but, but um, and it takes greater strength not to come to their aid and do everything for them. But, um, but that to teach them that God loves you and has plans for you, can do a lot more for you than I could ever and so you need to go to God. I'm going to point you to God. Okay, that was a half a second. <laughs> Thank you, Sandy. <laughs>
Okay, I think I'm going to share something a little bit on the lighter side. And probably it would apply uh, mostly to you parents who have younger children at this point. But uh, I'm going to tell you a story about Jimmy, who is now James. <laughs> um, the first time that we took him and his uh, siblings to church out in Palmer, where we live now, and that was a, uh, when he was probably in younger elementary school age, maybe a little younger than that. He was pretty young. And we, we took him to a new church, which is always very hard for little children, even for adults, to go to a new church and feel comfortable there and not be the center of attraction and stuff. So uh, we sent him to his Sunday school class. And after we left church and we're on our way home, James informed us that he is never going back there again. <laughs> and what had happened was that he went to Sunday school and apparently the little boys were making a little more noise than their Sunday school teacher thought they ought to be making. And so she decided to take the kids and put them boy, girl, boy, girl around the table. And he was not pleased with that arrangement whatsoever. And as you can see, um, he went to church there again and again and again, and he's been going to church ever since. So I would just say uh, the lesson in that is that sometimes your kids might say, I don't want to go to youth group. I don't want to go to Sunday school. I don't want to go to church anymore. But um, they still have to go to school. They still have to do other things that maybe they don't want to do right away. And so if they say they don't want to do it, doesn't necessarily mean, oh, well, then you don't have to. So spiritual things are too important to ignore. All right, let's give a hand to all our moms.